You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Back in 1847, after rejections from 29 medical schools, Elizabeth Blackwell found herself finally accepted to Geneva College in New York, only because her application was thought to be a hoax. After braving much ridicule and prejudice, she ended up graduating first in her class and becoming the first female doctor in the United States. In comparison, today, for the first time ever, women not only make up the majority of medical school applicants, they're roughly even with men as medical students enrolled. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Shira Johnson, and with me today is Dr. Maureen Lowry, Professor of Clinical Medicine at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. She's also the Medical Director of the Cardiovascular Outpatient Center and the Non-Invasive Diagnostic Labs at the University of Miami Hospital and the Medical Director of the Women's Heart Center. Today we are discussing women as healthcare providers, how the numbers have changed, and what impact that has had on the medical profession. Welcome, Dr. Lowry. We're glad to have you here today. Hi, Sarah. It's good to talk to you. What are the percentages of women, as you know it, in medical school today versus 30 years ago? And what impact has this made on the health care team? Well, as little as 30 years ago, unfortunately, uh, women represented 10% or less of, of the graduating medical classes. That gave not only a few women in the field, that led to most patients thinking that women were oddballs. In fact, my mother in her day, used to say, I'll never go to a female physician. I'm too uncomfortable. My mother said the same thing, yes. Today, I'm glad to say that 50-50, around 50%, 51% of all medical school graduations in the United States are females. So our numbers are growing. Do you think having a female primary care provider is a plus if you're a woman patient? Are you more likely to open up to her than a man? Personally, absolutely. I, I believe that is true. I believe that's due not only from my own observations, but from the mouths of my patients. I'm one of the few female cardiologists at the University of Miami, and, and many women want to come to see me. When I ask them why, why did they did their previous cardiologist who was a male treat them wrong, uh, not listen to them? The answer is usually no, but I don't feel easy with them. I will not tell them all my symptoms. I cannot open up to them. I'm too embarrassed, all these sort of statements. Do you think you ask different questions? you ask the right questions? I think women are not as judgmental. And I don't think women answer with a quick solution or a quick, let's close the book on this. Women don't need to have an answer to all their symptoms, but they need to be listened to. Even if reassurance is all they need, it's important that they're listened. I think women are better listeners than men. What about the impact of women who are now not just doing pediatrics and family medicine, which is where they originally were starting out, but internal medicine, subspecialties, and surgery? What impact has that had on the healthcare field? Well, in my field, cardiology, it's yet to be seen. I recently attended the first national meeting for women in cardiology by the American College of Cardiology Foundation. And their numbers were astonishing. And, and the one that I want to mention is that only now are females going into interventional cardiology. That is the specialty that puts the stents in and, and opens up arteries during acute heart attacks and so forth. Now, why is that? Well, it's twofold. Number one, the equipment and shatter of radiation has improved. Lead aprons have improved. They actually skirts that, that wrap around us instead of the shield that was designed for males. And I think women, now that we have been in the healthcare field in, in decent numbers for the last decade, are skirting the chauvinism that once directed at least what you and I chose to go into, Shara. I'm concerned with that, however. 
and, and I'm concerned in the, in the sense that I ask these women, your 10-hour days, your 12-hour days, your 14-hour days, is this what you want to be doing in 20 years, and how will this affect raising your children? Because unfortunately, women that are female physicians do not necessarily have the same help as home as men who are physicians. Men who are physicians tend to go home and have dinner ready. Women who are physicians have to still go home and make that dinner. Women have always been accused of trying to have it all, home, family, and career. Do you think after all these years, can this ever be done? And then what's the cost for the health and the stress and the families of women that try to do that? I think it's hard for any woman to let go of control. I know for myself I'm at fault. It's easier for me just to go do something and get it done than to direct someone else to do it and be dissatisfied. Women need to know how to set up limits and barriers to their time, and they need to respect them. Women need to learn how to say no. When was the last time you could say no and not feel guilty as a woman in your workplace? What are some of the challenges facing women who are PCPs, primary care doctors, and subspecialists in this decade that maybe they didn't have to face before when they were more family medicine, pediatrics, in terms of the workplace? Good question. I think that would depend upon what age group that you ask that to. I think if you ask female physicians in their late 30s on up, they would still feel challenged by the perceived gender differences, the weakness in the female gender, the chauvinism in the field, and depending upon their personality, their ability to confront that in a professional manner. I think also women in our era when we joined the the male fields tended to think that we need to develop male values and males' understanding of business and, and how they worked in the workplace. And it just isn't working. I think females today know that there are gender differences and they can approach problems differently than men and be just as successful, if not more. But they have to learn to set up limits, boundaries, and they have to learn to say no and not feel guilty. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD, a channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and we are speaking with Dr. Maureen Lowry about the changes in women for the healthcare profession. Can you tell us something about that first all-female cardiologist meeting that you attended? The name was Women's Career and Leadership Development Conference, and it was for women cardiologists in practice and academics. And it was the first. It was the first attempt to hoard together all-female cardiologists, academic or private, in training or out, in one weekend. And what was that like for you, and who organized it? The American College of Cardiology Foundation. And in that foundation is an offshoot of women in cardiology, basically. And so they organized it. And I don't know if you know Pam Douglas. She was our key speaker at that workshop, and various members from the, of the American College of Cardiology. Let me just give you some background on some of the stuff they talked about. But everything from conflict management, negotiating skills, which is really important for women. We do not know how to negotiate. You know, how to decipher the political terrain, how to speak if you're going to go into speaking, legal issues, efficiency patterns, so on and so forth. But unfortunately, a lot of the women came up to me and said, you know, I'm here because I'm hired by this group to develop something for women in heart disease, thinking the men thought it would increase the volume of their practice. 
and they are stumped because the women are coming in and they're treating the women the same way they treat the men and ordering the same tests they order for the men. And their partners are now crying, why aren't you bringing in more volume? Why aren't you developing something unique to women? So the question was, what can we do to create women heart centers to make them different from men? What are we doing differently? What is different? Do we treat them differently? What can we do to create female heart centers for women, and how should they be treated differently? Well, you have to understand, uh, in my opinion, number one, I think they'll open up and be more honest about their risk factors. And I think that most women don't tell the truth when they go to the doctor, myself included. I just abbreviate everything. Let's go on with it. That's not important. I'll decide what's important. And I think women do that when they're not in medicine. They decide what's important to tell the doctor before they go to the doctor. There are certain things I just don't want to talk about. Women are, are private people. Time's an issue. They want to get in and out. The physician today clearly makes it evident that they don't have a lot of time. They really don't want you to talk. When somebody walks up to you in the street and says, oh, well, how are you? They want to, I'm fine. They don't want to, oh, you know what, I'm really not having a good day. Because that, that means you're going to follow it up with another question. Well, what's wrong? Well, you know, so on and so forth. It, we're so socialized to be brief and say these cordial in statements that don't provoke any follow-up questions or statements. Think about it. When you go to the doctor, do you sit there and gab on and on and on about your symptoms? And we just don't do it. Women just don't do it. My woman with heart disease don't do this. I have a woman who was in one of my patients in the HERS trial, and she was 40 years old, and she was nauseated. She was just throwing up, and but she never threw up like this before. And she was in Greece, and she was on a cruise, and she went to the cruise doctor, and the doctor said to her, oh, you know, whatever, seasickness, she ate something bad, whatever. By the next port, she was so sick, her husband flew her back to the United States, and she was having a massive heart attack. Actually, shortly after she landed, she went into florid cardiogenic shock, and she blew out half her heart and ended up replacing her valve, and she was 40 years old. And even today, though, she doesn't talk about it. Even today, I have to drag symptoms out of her. She passed out and hit a car two weeks ago. She won't let me put in a defibrillator even though she qualifies. Why? Well, we'll do it in June. What do you mean we'll do it in June? Well, you know, I've got to deal with my grandkids and my daughter, and and my daughter's losing her house, and there are this list of things she has to do before she cares for herself. How do you get around that? Do you in any way fault the primary care providers who for so many years have not been getting the history that you can get or that you've heard from these people? Is there is there something they need to learn from this? That Were they really doing anything wrong, or was it just that women weren't being recognized as being what they are, which is different from men? I, I don't think most physicians intend to do anything wrong. I think that there were a lot of myths and misconceptions that, that permeate our profession and still do, ranging from why chest pain in women isn't important if a woman was lucky enough to have chest pain that sounded like angina, and all that data from back in the Framingham days. Most women in their middle ages are not perceived by physicians to have heart disease. And we even teach in our schools that heart disease is the disease of middle-aged men, old men, and old women. We still perceive that our ovaries somehow protect us from this premature death. Women can say to me, what is the number one killer? Heart disease in women. I mean, if I ask them, what's the number one killer of women? But when I say, well, what are you going to die of? They still say breast cancer. So women don't even give it the respect it deserves. 
It's tough. And women, it's like a young child. You have to keep repeating these behaviors. Learning is a process. We have to keep banging these points into their head. This is not easy. Also, the easy easy tests are not so accurate in women like the resting ECG or the simple stress test that a lot of internists now have treadmills in their office. I just got an email by a second-year resident, a third-year resident, actually, who I really don't know. I knew her husband as a student years ago who is going to join a practice, and she's going to be a standard internist, nothing fancy. But the practice she's joining has a treadmill, and they told her, you better go learn about stress testing before you join this group. So she wants to hang out in my lab to learn stress testing, and that's just regular stress testing with no imaging. So she's going to have a lot of abnormal stress tests in women because we have a lot of false positives. So what do we do? So the screening tools aren't as good. The cheap, uh, easy ones that internists tend to have in their office. I want to thank Dr. Maureen Lowry for being our guest today as we discussed women and their role in medicine yesterday and today. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. And thank you for listening.